Hey church, we are in our third installment of this series called The Mind of Christ. And today we're dealing with a topic that is, is I mean, it's very theological. We're dealing with election and atonement. Remember, uh, we got these sermon questions and these topics from you guys. It was what you asked about. It was what you suggested. It was what you felt like you wanted to know more about. And, uh, and so... This topic is not necessarily one that uh, we talk a whole lot about. And, you know, actually, I, I spent years studying these topics in seminary, election and atonement. You know, what atonement meaning, what does Jesus' death do for us? Right? That's just a simple definition there. Um, and election being like, uh, does God choose who gets saved and who doesn't? Okay, um, and so I spent years studying these these topics, only to find out that when I got into the real world and in the real ministry, nobody cared about these things. Nobody talked about these things, guys. In nine years of me being here in Toronto, a little over nine years now, I never once had anyone ask me about the seven theories of the atonement or the five or the three or however many you want to say there are. I've never had anyone talk to me about that. I've never even had anyone ask me about election. Right? So um, that's in nine years. Why, why is that? Well, because these two topics are topics we generally love to discuss in theological circles. We love to discuss these in in big theological uh, books. We love to discuss these in the church. But outside, in a lost and dying world, which is us being a church plant, we're trying to reach the harvest. Outside in a lost and dying world, people aren't asking me about my theory of the atonement. Right? They, they, they haven't even heard of who Jesus is. Right? So, so they, don't, they don't care uh, about the intricacies of my theology on this. And, and so I just want to give us a, a word of caution on the front end that although I love talking about these things, although I think there's a benefit in talking about these things, we don't want uh, these, these doctrines, and, and today we're talking about these ones in particular with election and atonement, to distract us from living on mission. We don't get so caught up in, in the intricacies here that we miss the big picture. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Okay? So, but again, we can still talk about it. I can still try to hopefully help us um, think about this through the mind of Christ and, and help you learn how to think about these issues so that when you do come across them, and hopefully you do have deep theology, and you do want to go deeper, and, and when you do come across them, you know how, how to think better and how to discern and how to um, navigate these waters that can sometimes be, be uh, contentious. They can sometimes be confusing um, and, and just be just, just tough, tough issues. So we're going to be in Colossians 3 today, as Adam read earlier, just four verses. And the context of Colossians here is, the Apostle Paul is contrasting what is merely fleeting and ephemeral and temporary in this world with what will last forever. 
Okay, so he's 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 contrasting those two things. He's juxtaposing the ephemeral and the eternal, and he's juxtaposing what is temporary and what is timeless. Right? He's he's just contrasting those. So we're leading into this verse here, where he says, "Well, if then in verse one, if then." You have been raised with Christ. So if that's true for you, okay, if you're watching this, listening to this, and if that's true for you, if you have been raised with Christ, this is what you do. You seek the things that are above. And this word seek here, it's, it's could be, and it's maybe even better translated as the word desire. So he's saying desire the things that are above. Uh, because what he's meaning is, and normally when you seek for something, you're desiring it, right? But you're also not just trying to find it. You're not just trying to search for it. It's more, it's deeper than that. You're desiring them because, well, because they're actually attainable. It's not like you lost your keys and you're, and you're hoping you find them. What, what he's saying to seek in terms of things that are above, he's saying, no, according to Ephesians 1, all, every spiritual blessing has been given to you. You have access to all of those things. So he says, those things that you seek are above. It's not like you're trying to find them because they're lost or you're trying to hopefully find them or you doubt you might find them. No, he says, you can desire them because they are yours. And so that's why the word seek is a little bit deeper than that because they're actually attainable through Christ's work because he is seated at the right hand of God where his work is done. So he says then in verse 2, well then you can set your minds on things that are above. And this doesn't just mean to think about those things. It has a connotation of taking delight in those things, setting your values around those things, and desiring those things. So you'll see this translated uh, in some translations, not to set your minds, but set your hearts. Because it talks about desire and, and, and um, uh, delighting in those things. So, set your mind or set your hearts on uh, things that are above, not on things that are, that are on the earth. And remember, Christ's work is done. So the question is, what are you desiring? Okay, what, what are you desiring? We've, we've talked about that through the series. And the, the desire, that's, that's the crux, right? That's, that's, you need to figure out what you want, right? Uh, because once you realize that, you realize you've been acting this way to attain that thing. So he says, figure out, like, figure out what that desire is because that desire is going gonna, is gonna to help us f- desire the things of God or it's going to say, well, you're not desiring the things of God. So um, what are you desiring? Are you desiring earthly things? Are you desiring things that are above? In the church, like I said, we get caught up in talking about election and atonement, limited atonement, unlimited atonement, predestination, (coughs) excuse me, predestination, double predestination, foreknowledge, prevenient grace, irresistible grace, uh, total depravity. And again, it's not that we shouldn't talk about those things. We can talk about those things. Um, But Oftentimes when people do talk about those, those things, it gets ugly pretty quickly. That's, that's, what we want to, that, that's what we want to avoid. We don't want that because if we set our minds on things that are above, where Christ's work is done. So in the, at the end of the day, whether it's limited atonement or unlimited, his work is already done on that. Like he already did it. 
right? It's not like we're, we're helping God decide whether it's going to be limited or unlimited. We're not helping God decide whether his grace is irresistible or, it's re- or, or it isn't. We're not helping God decide uh, about predestination. Those things have been done, okay? And a lot of times we talk about these things and they don't really affect how we live our life. So, for instance, if you, if you believe that, um, if, if you're struggling with, okay, how do I reconcile God's sovereignty with free will? Do I really have free will, et cetera? Et cetera? Well, um, I mean, you brush your teeth, hopefully, today, um, and uh, you would have done that. Hopefully, you would have chosen to do that. But if you didn't, well, you still did it. Right? And, and so when we break it down, a lot of times it doesn't really affect our real everyday life and the things that we do every day. Now, again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. We shouldn't try to reconcile God's sovereignty and his control with, um, with free will and how that works. Um, this, this might help you instead of thinking about it as free will. This is kind of an aside. Um, maybe think about it as a power of moral choice. Um, and, uh, and how that works with God's sovereignty. I think that's a better definition of, of what we mean when we say free will. Uh, it's, it's definitely a biblical one. So uh, what we want to do is set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and on things below. Uh, because he says here in verse 3, for you have died. You have died. You put to death your old self. Remember Peter, he says, uh, uh, do not live in the passions of your former ignorance. Like those things are gone. Those things should be put to death. You have died. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. If that's true, then that means we should operate in a certain way. Remember, his work is done. We're not trying to help God decide on these doctrines. Now, sometimes we just get so caught up in knowing and knowing them and being certain on them and being right. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if we're right or not on those things. And again, we're not talking core theology here, right? Um, because God has already done that work. It matters whether we uh, believe in the work of Christ that this was done. And, and Paul is very elementary here with that. And guys, I was going to go through, I thought about going through the theories of the atonement with you guys. Um, there's five to seven of those. Uh, and maybe I'll talk about them real quickly. Um, but and I thought about doing a little exercise with you to, to go through that. But I think I'm going to switch it up because um, here's the thing. Okay. If I said to you, okay, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say this to you, okay. You fill in the blank. Jesus died for blank. What did Jesus die for? Jesus died for blank. And just you, you're, you don't have to shout this out in your R3. I mean, you can if you want. Um, but what would you put in that blank? Jesus died for. I 
I was talking to someone the other day, a few weeks ago, and they innocuously said, because they've been taught this somewhere along the way, because they've heard this. I mean, if you're part of the Protestant tradition, you've heard this a lot. Um, They said, Jesus died for my sins. And I don't know any Christians who would disagree with that. But I said to this person, that's not false. But Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Not for your sins. Right? Now, sins are a part of it. Did Jesus die so we could have the forgiveness of sins? That he would would conquer sin and we could uh, live in him? Yes. But Jesus didn't die because he hated sin so much. He didn't give his life up because he's like, I hate that sin so much I'm going to die for, for those sins. He died because he loved us. The Bible says he demonstrates his love in this way, God does. That Jesus died while we were still sinners. So you, you still see in Romans 5, 8, that sin is still very much a part of it. But Jesus doesn't die for sin. He dies for you. Now, does that mean, I should say, Jesus Jesus dies for the forgiveness of sins as well. But when our lens is, well, Jesus just died for my sins, that that makes us, that causes us to see God in a certain way. That causes us to understand the gospel in a certain way. That causes you to, to understand God in a certain way. That if, a lot of times it's like, well, if Jesus died for my sins, but then you live this life and you sin, it's like, oh, shoot, guilt, condemnation, shame. Jesus died for that, and I just trampled on, on the cross. Guys, do you think your sin is that powerful? when Jesus has already conquered it and is seated at the right hand of the Father and your sins are as far apart as the east is from the west? No. <laughs> you're, you're saying, oh no, shoot, my, my sin has defeated Jesus. No, that's not true. Jesus' work is done. He already did it. But when you say, Jesus died for me, and then you sin and mess up, Yes, you, you mourn over that and you say, God, I'm so sorry I, I sinned. Guys, I don't even ask forgiveness for my sin because he's already given it to me. I don't waste time talking to God about things he's already done. Unless I'm praising him for those things. So I say, thank you, God. Let me show you gratitude. Let me praise you for that forgiveness. Instead of asking for it, I recognize that he's already given it to me. And I say, I don't want this sin anymore. I don't want to move forward. Guys, a few weeks ago, um, the Lord revealed something about myself. uh, This really kind of nuanced sin in my heart. And when it hit me, I was... I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a... I can't believe like I've never seen that in myself before. I'm such... Uh, like that's terrible. You know, I, I said, I don't, I don't want that. And guys, that was the extent of it. Like immediately I said, 
thank you, God, that you've forgiven him on that. Thank you that you give me the power to overcome that. And I don't have to live like that anymore. Thank you for showing me that about myself because previously I didn't recognize that in myself and now I get to live in a new way because of you. And I get to walk in, in uh, step with the Holy Spirit as a child of light because you just showed me where, this, where I was living in some darkness and now um, I'm walking more in light, uh, in light more fully. And guys, that's what knowing that Jesus died for you, not for your sin, does. It changes your lens a bit. Right, again, um, sometimes we just prioritize one thing over the other. And when you prioritize this, the sin, then you lose sight of your Savior. Okay? The gospel is not simply a gospel for salvation. It's not simply a gospel of salvation. It wasn't just to save you from your sin. It wasn't just to get you into heaven, to save you from hell. The gospel is much more grand and majestic and marvelous than that. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of a way of life. It's the gospel of abundant life. It's not just a gospel to save you in the life to come. Guys, if, if, you, if that's your experience of faith, you are just on the threshold of that door, of the house. You haven't even entered into it yet. Now, are we saved from those things? Yes. But it's like saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here, but you're still standing at the door. You're like, hey, come on in the living room. I'm, I'm good here. No, no, the party's in here. No, no, I'll, I'll just stay here. Well, we're not going to go over there and talk to you. Okay, it's fine. And then that's it. That's your experience of the faith. When you haven't explored any of the rest of the house, you haven't been with anybody else partying or, 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 or eating or drinking or doing anything else in the house, and you're just stuck there on the threshold. That's what, what having the gospel of salvation and, just, and merely and simply just salvation does. Guys, the gospel is much bigger than that. It's much more beautiful than that. It is actually inexhaustible. And, and so uh, it, when uh, it's like, oh, this is such a good, it's, it's like the Harry Potter tent, you know, and, uh, and the Goblet of Fire. It's, it's that tent where he, it looks small from the outside. He goes in, and it's just like this mansion tent, right? And there's rooms and there's, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. So that's, that's a picture of the gospel here, that we get to experience the gospel in this, in this life. We're not waiting for the gospel of the kingdom to happen. We're experiencing that in this life. We get to share it with other people. We get to invite other people into it. And so uh, when you say, when you fill in the blank with something else, um, it, it can be a lens for you. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died uh, for this particular sin. Jesus died uh, for, um, uh, you know, yeah, some, something else uh, like that. It can also influence the way you think about God. You know, because when you sin, like, oh, shoot, the Father's going to punish me now. And, oh, yeah, like, um, he was just waiting, right? Like, guys, God isn't just waiting there for you to mess up, right? He's, he's, he's waiting there to, to call you back to himself 
so that you can experience his love and his compassion, just like in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. So what, what we want to do in, in terms of these two theological doctrines is, is say, let's just step into the house first. Before you get caught up in election and predestination and foreknowledge and atonement and all this, guys, those are deep philosophical issues that, and theological issues that the church has talked about and written about for centuries, okay? So we're not going to figure it all out in a 30-minute sermon. What I want to help you do is to discern better in the future. And, and so start exploring the gospel of the kingdom. Step into the house first before you get mired into these, these things and just deep into, into the woods here. So here, let, I'll just talk about atonement real quick because uh, the theories of atonement are, um, well, there's, there's a bunch of them that the church has, has, has believed from, from the early age. So from my perspective, I don't think one theory of the atonement covers all the bases. Remember when I say theory of the atonement, I mean, what happened when Jesus died for us? What did that do for us? What did, what did his sacrifice do? If we even consider it a sacrifice, right? Because one of these theories of the atonement doesn't necessarily use that language. So um, uh, here's, I'll just roll through them really quickly. You can just Google them. You can look them up. If you want more, there's so many books out there, uh, but, uh, um, <clears throat> but let's, let's go through them quickly. So the moral influence theory, and I'm going to go through them in chronological order. Okay, like which ones the early church uh, really grabbed onto uh, and which ones have come later. So in chronological order, moral influence theory, uh, and actually the first three are kind of like simultaneous almost. So the moral influence theory. Um, Jesus came to bring us positive cha- bring positive change to humanity, right? That he'd be an example for us. Show us love and goodness and truth, bring us, and that, and that would bring us back to God. We would all say, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, is that all of it? Well, I'd say no. Um, and then the, another one is the ransom theory, that Jesus' death paid the ransom to free humanity from the devil. That's tough because it's like, Oh, does God owe the devil something uh, in this case? But then you have ransom language in the scriptures. So maybe the ransom was paid to God. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, that's a different theory. Um, uh, Christus Victor, that's one of the earliest theories of the atonement, that Jesus died in order to defeat the powers of sin and death so that we would be able to defeat the powers of sin and death um, in this life and have this victory on earth uh, as it is in heaven, right? Christus Victor. And I'd say yes, amen to that. Um, a few weeks ago at the, at the um, January Collective, we had our kids um, punching through karate, <laughs> punching through boards, uh, karate chopping these foam boards after they wrote their sin on it. Because we wanted to show them they have the power to conquer sin and that although it's a battle, they can conquer through the power of Christ Jesus, right? So uh, the satisfaction theory, this is like the ransom theory a little bit, uh, that Jesus' death satisfied the justice of God as our substitute uh, because of the injustice wrought by humanity. So, uh, so it's almost in the, in the sense of Jesus paying the ransom to God, right? Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's some credence to that one too. 
the penal substitution, so that came out midi, middle ages, dark ages. Uh, the penal substitutionary theory is, is the reformers theory that, that they push forward. Um, Jesus, d- Jesus dies to satisfy God's wrath. So the, the penalty, the, the, the penal part of it, the penalty, uh, thus taking away, um, oh, oh, sorry, thus, thus satisfying the wrath against sin. And then he does that in our place. He takes the punishment in the place of sinners. Uh, so substitution. Uh, and that's the one that's championed most in Protestant conservative theology, the penal substitutionary theory, which I would say yes to that. But when we make it all that is where we kind of miss, miss the boat a bit. Um, because I think there's really good elements in these other theories uh, that we chop off and we just make it about Jesus saving us from our sin. That's what I'm talking about here, okay? Instead of Jesus saying no, uh, instead, of, instead of also saying Jesus died for us, and it has that in here too, um, but somewhere along the way, we missed us that he was our substitute. So they're trying to rectify that here, but some, some of us are still stuck in that Jesus died for our sins thing. Uh, and then these next two are modern. They're, they're newer. Um, and some Protestant traditions believe uh, this next one more. Uh, you may have never even heard of this one. You haven't heard of any of them. Uh, this next one is the governmental theory that Jesus dies to satisfy God's wrath, but in a way, it's... It's um, representative of the wrath, not, he doesn't take on the fullness of God's wrath, okay? He just takes on some of God's wrath. So it's a represent, it's governmental, it's representative, right? Um, and there's reasons why these all came, came to fruition, but um, I don't know about that one. So <laughs> I got, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so the scapegoat theory is the last one. This is very modern. Um, this is that Jesus dies as a victim of humanity's sin rather than a sacrifice to satisfy the devil or God, right? Um, the ransom or the satisfaction theory. So um, it's more that Jesus is, is the victim here. We'd say, well, yeah, and scapegoat, there's scapegoat um, imagery in uh, the Hebrew scriptures as well. Um, and we see that in Hebrews uh, as well. So um, those are the theories of the atonement, um, the only seven of them. Uh, and, uh, and so if you just got bored just now, then you were like, then you were like Missy in the opening segment. Because <laughs> sometimes, guys, sometimes come when someone can say to, to people, and I've seen this happen, where they're like, hey, um, what do you believe? And you get so deep into theology that you miss that the person just wants to know who Jesus is. And it's a shame because then you, they just tune you out, think about what you're going to eat today, think about, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, and, and I did that to demonstrate that maybe that happened to you. Uh, but guys, again, there's benefit in talking about these things. But first, let's be faithful in sharing the gospel of the kingdom in the abundant life of Christ. Because what really matters here is that Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected three days later. That's core theology, remember, from a few weeks ago. That's what really matters. And so when you, when you are trying to make disciples, which we're trying to do as a church, who make disciples, it's actually rare you're going to talk about these issues. Like I said, in nine years of trying to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples here in Toronto, I've 
never had anyone ask me about these things who was seeking Jesus. I've never had anyone do that. I've had a Christian here or there talk, ask about election, but guys, I can remember each instance. There's only, there's only two of them in the past nine years, and that's in, and that's in the church. And it was just a question, right? It wasn't, hey, I have an issue with this. So um, if we're trying to live on mission for God, these things, we can trust that God took care of these things. Now let's recognize we're children of light. Our life is hidden in him. Talk about the cross and the resurrection, core theology here. And then we can explore the house in grace and peace together um, and talk about these things uh, as, as well. But let's make what's primary, primary. And, and so he says here in verse four to close out, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's the promise. That's what we want people to know. That's what we want people to see. That's what we want. That's basic theology here on, uh, on uh, what we've just been talking about. It's Christ is your life. And if you've been raised with him, you're seeking things that are above. You've died. That means you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's what we get to share. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's the abundant life. That's what we get to bring people into. And they get to explore the house with us. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your work is done. Thank you that you have shown us um, a life wholly submitted to the Father. And that in doing so, you've been exalted to the right hand of God. Where your work is done. And so may we be vessels like you for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to make disciples. And if these things come up, may we speak of them in humility, with grace and mercy and kindness. And the knowledge that we don't know everything. Give us that awareness so that we can invite others to reason with you and to seek you. We ask this in your name. Amen.